Well, thanks so much. It is uh, such a blessing to be here this morning. I'm excited uh, to meet you. I've uh, followed you online. I've talked to Tim and I've talked to Jaya and I know your story, some of it. And uh, I've seen the posts with the baptisms and the services. I've seen your emphasis on love moving. And I'll tell you, I've been rejoicing from Mesa to see what God's doing here uh, at Phoenix Bible Church. And I am pumped to be here with you this morning to see what God has, uh, has put together here. We're going to be looking in uh, Colossians chapter 2, as we just read this morning, continuing on in this series. Uh, I've gotten to listen to a little bit of what Pastor Tim has uh, shared from the passage. And I'll tell you, man, I am blessed. Uh, you guys are blessed, and I know Tim would be blushing right now if I said this, but man, I am blessed and encouraged when I listen to his sermons. I'm challenged uh, in my walk with Jesus uh, to take the next step and to pursue him, and uh, man, I'll tell you, I'm just, I'm pumped to be here with you this morning. So thanks to PBC, thanks Pastor Tim, thanks for the leadership team for uh, inviting me and just giving me the honor of being here uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to continue to look on this idea in the book of Colossians about being in Christ. And, uh, you know, I always think about my kids when I think about applying the scripture because it's my life right now. I've got four of them, uh, ages nine, seven, five, and two, and uh, boy, girl, girl, girl. And uh, so our house is a hopping loud place. And, uh, and you know, I, I've noticed something about my kids that the thing that gets them the most excited about anything in the whole world I mean, it could be, I could offer them $100, and they wouldn't get as excited as if I offered them candy, right? I mean, we just got through Resurrection Sunday. How many of you had an Easter egg hunt uh, with the kids, right? So the kids are out there, and they're so excited. And they're going, they find the candy, they get it, they put it in their mouths, and after about 10 seconds, it dissolves, and it's gone, and it's over, right, for them. But then it begins for the parents when the sugar rush hit. And, uh, and you pay for it a little bit. But it's a tiny little pleasure. But for kids, it's like, it's like all there is in that moment, right? They live for that candy. But then when the candy's dissolved, it's over with. And you think to yourself, man, there's, there's nothing more compelling for a child than candy. There's got to be more to life than that, right? And you and I know that as adults. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not too much different for us in life as adults, I've found. Uh, I find myself following after all kinds of things that are really exciting, and then in the end, once I've tasted it and it's done, it's not worth living for. Um, sometimes it pr promises like some kind of fulfillment, um, some kind of pleasure. Uh, sometimes it's even like a, a spiritually good-seeming thing that makes me feel like, yeah, I'm putting on some uh, spiritual muscle here by doing this. And um, sometimes it's something worldly, you know, like uh, intimacy outside of marriage or uh, something even good like, you know, bodily discipline. I'm, I'm working out and feeling good about myself or something super spiritual like, you know, I'm really fasting and this shows how tough I am spiritually and I'm, I'm strong now. And, uh, and, and living for those things, man, it's just empty. It's just empty. There's, there's more to it, right? What we're learning in Colossians is that what we have is Jesus. That's worth living for. That's worth dying for, right? That's something to get excited about. And so in, in, in the Colossian context there in the Lycus Valley, they were in a culture that had all this uh, emphasis on deep mystical spiritual knowledge and shows of self-denial. Um, there was a normalized belief in spiritual powers. There were intermediaries between um, people and even between the true God. They were getting confused. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is that Christ is preeminent. 
He is all there is, and he's more than enough. Jesus is what you need. He's all you need. And we're going to be reminded this morning that Jesus is all you need. He's what you need, and he is all you need. You desperately need him. And so he's the real deal. Everything else is shadow. Everything else is vapor. And so if we look down to verse 16, hopefully you have your Bible or your app there. Verse 16 tells us that that no one should pass judgment on us because Christ is the substance. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And so he says that important word there at verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment. So he's telling us, because of what I just told you, don't let this happen. So remember back to last week what Pastor Tim talked about. Tim told us that Christ is the head of every ruler and authority, that he is the highest and the best, and everything else is secondary to him. If you've been filled with Christ and Jesus is preeminent, then can you possibly have anything more? If God is within you and living with you, he also told us some crazy stuff about what goes on in our hearts, stuff you don't see when you receive Jesus as your Savior, when you trust him, right? That what happens is, is that God circumcises our hearts. It's kind of crazy language for us uh, in, in uh, you know, 21st century America. But back then, circumcision was a big deal to Jewish people. It was your sign that you were part of the covenant. But what Paul said was, is you got Jesus, he lives inside you, the preeminent one, and you weren't obeying the law, but you got something bigger than what obedience to the law could offer. You could do something to the outside of your body, wouldn't change your heart. But what Christ has done is he's come inside your heart and he's made you clean on the inside. He's made you pure without the law. And so you've been circumcised in your heart. You've been made alive with Christ through the resurrection and forgiven And God's canceled the record of debts against you. So the law doesn't have a legal demand on you anymore. And he's disarmed every spiritual power. He's put them to open shame because he took your sin debt, your record of wrongs. He nailed it to the cross where he paid with it with his royal blood. And it is over. The spiritual powers don't have any power over you. The law doesn't have any weight in your life. Your sins are canceled and forgiven. You've got Jesus. That's all you need. And so he tells them, don't let somebody else judge you. Right? If God, if Jesus, the preeminent one of the universe, has declared you just, don't let anybody else judge you. Care what Jesus says first. That means you're accepted and welcomed and inhabited by God. You're clean because of Jesus. You're dead to the world and alive to Christ because you are in Christ. You don't have to satisfy anybody else. You don't even have to satisfy God. You know why? Because God, the only one who really matters, has satisfied himself through Jesus. So when you look up and think about God and your relationship to him, if you're a believer in Jesus... You don't have to wonder whether he likes you or loves you or is for you. The one thing that never remains that we just sung about is true. God's love is set on you and cannot be removed because God is a God of love. And he satisfied himself in Jesus because of you. So what happened was is the Colossians believers, Colossian believers received the gospel and trusted in Jesus. But they, they were living their lives in the context of this, uh, this uh, these spiritual realities that people believed in. 
and people telling them that, okay, now that you're a Christian, you need to go back and obey the law. You need to obey these dietary laws from the laws, law of Moses or maybe even some religious customs that were local about what they could or couldn't eat. They were saying, you need to, you need to observe these festivals and do this new moon ceremony and you need to, uh, you need to observe the Sabbath, right? Because if you're going to be a hardcore Christian that proves it to God, you're going to have to do these things. And instead, Paul tells them, he says, these aren't legitimate things. They, they look super spiritual, but what you've got there is a shadow of Christ. Christ is the substance. The law is a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So a shadow, what is that? It's like a dark shape that's made when light that's passing by is blocked by something, right? So have you ever seen like a, a little kid discover their shadow for the first time or a puppy? Isn't it great watching them? They're scared, right? How does this thing know where I'm going to go? It follows me everywhere. It's alive, you know? And they wonder what's going on. Um, it, it, they don't understand the relationship between the shadow and their substance or their body. And let me go back to the $100 illustration. So what would you rather have, a shadow or the reality? Let's say I said, okay, you have the choice between the shadow of a $100 bill or a $100 bill. What would you take, right? Shadow, right? No, you wouldn't. You'd say, I'd take the $100 bill, right? The shadow is what gives the shape of the substance. And Christ is the substance. So when you look at the law, you're seeing, you're seeing the shadow of what Christ would be. If you want the substance, you don't go after the shadow. So an illustration of that is the Passover. You know, the Passover is when Israel came out of Egypt. And as they were coming out, the last plague was that the firstborn would die. And, and God said, here's the way to be rescued from this plague. You, you sacrifice a perfect lamb. You put the blood over the door. And when the death angel comes, guess what's going to happen? If the, if the blood's on your door, then the death angel passes over you. We have a picture of Christ. Christ shed his blood on our behalf so that when God sees what he's done for us, he passes over us and we experience life. You see, that was a shadow to point us to Jesus. We could live for the Passover, but we'd miss the whole point if we didn't see what it was pointing to or what it was a reflection of. It's a reflection of King Jesus and what he would do for us, the ultimate and true and perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So if you've got Christ, you've got the ultimate reality of the law. You've got what it existed to reflect. You don't need religious clothes. You don't need religious rites. You don't need some higher, tougher form of spirituality. If you've got Christ, it doesn't get any better than Jesus. So we need to be reminded that Christ is a substance, but there's a danger in forgetting that. Verses 18 and following, Paul says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. The Greek word there for disqualify, let no one disqualify you, is kind of like what happens in a baseball game at the bottom of the ninth when there are two outs and the umpire calls an out, right? He's called the game. It's over. He says, don't let somebody else call you out of the game and put you out of contention. He says, 
These things, the asceticism, asceticism is withholding pleasure for my body to, to, to strengthen it, or in this case, to show some sort of spiritual uh, worth or merit. Um, he says that is something that if you pursue that as an end and let go of Jesus to prove your own righteousness, that is a disqualifying thing. Don't go down that path. That's what people who don't trust in Jesus do. The people who trust in Jesus hold on to the head. A particular uh, thing for the Colossians was this worship of angels. Like they needed to have this angel's ear so that they could deliver messages back and forth between them and God. He said, no, Jesus is the one who gives you access to the Father. You don't need these angels or details about visions. So what was going on in, 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 their, in their context is they would go to the temple, and if you were really tough, and you showed your spiritual, uh, your spiritual qualifications, they would initiate you at these local temples into mystic rituals. And during these rituals, you would be, you would be informed about things that the general public couldn't know. And they were secret things that proved that you were on this higher spiritual level than everybody else. So Paul is saying, hey, these guys are going on and on about what they saw inside this temple. But you know what that's leading them away from? It's leading them away from Jesus, right? They're getting so excited about this mystical spiritual, uh, spiritual event in their life that they're forgetting to hold on to the head. And they're getting puffed up. And instead, you know, this is this paradox, right? So they're all excited about how tough they are and what spiritual level they've reached, you know? This seems like maturity. But he says that they were puffed up in their sensual minds, that was actually feeding their flesh, feeding that sensual part of them instead of starving it. It's a real paradox that something that seems so good and so powerful could be so dangerous. The problem is, is that there's no merit or spiritual worth apart from Christ. You know, you and I face this today, right? We're different, right? So we don't have the local temple where we're being drawn down in there to... Uh, uh, to uh, see some vision or something. But in our context, some things that people might say, okay, I'm a little bit better. Like, this is kind of like my goodness. Um, how about recycling? <laughs> like, well, hey, I don't throw my plastic bags in the trash. They all go back to the grocery store. Or buying local. I buy local, right? Or I'm kind to animals. Or I'm active for important causes. Or I have a disciplined diet. I'm physically active and fit, and I'm on top of it. Um, I attend church a lot. I'm, I'm always there. Every time door opens, I'm at church. Or, you know, I'm really spiritual because I perform these ritual tasks. I give all the time. And I'm faithful to, to hold vigils, uh, to take communion, to uh, participate in religious ceremonies. Um, I give dedicated periods of service of my life to God, maybe for a trip or something. Um, I do good deeds to other people, just randomly. When it pops into my head, I do it because that's how I roll. And on and on and on. And so you can see what can happen, right? Were those things bad? No, I mean, you probably want to do most of that stuff, right, uh, that I mentioned. Those are all good things to do. But you see, there's a subtle shift, right, where on one hand you're saying, I'm good because I do these things. Then that's letting go of Jesus, because if you're really, your ultimate and true goodness is in Christ, you've got to hold on here and say, this is why I have goodness. It's a goodness that was gifted to me by God through faith. Not one that I earned and showed everybody else and got on top and was 
a competitor with them and proved myself better. Jesus is the one who is my goodness. Jesus is the one that I trust in. And so I would encourage you, press into every one of those things. Recycle, buy local, do whatever, do good, take communion, serve in your church, give. uh, uh, Be committed here at Phoenix Bible Church, not because it makes you a better person, but because you love Jesus and you love his church and you love this body of people and you're here to serve because God has loved you so well. F.F. Bruce put it this way. He said, there is no way that you can overshadow the grace of God to you as a child of God. Think about that for a second. When you try to say, I'm good to God and prove it, you know what you're putting yourself up against to prove? You're putting yourself up against the grace of God and the person of Jesus. Can you compete? No, so give in already, right? Trust that Jesus has done it for you. So imagine yourself standing before the throne of God if you've, got, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything, right? But if you come there with your own righteousness, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, if you, if you come there with your own righteousness, it's like, it's like you brought, you got to get there. You got to think, oh, this is so good. And then you're going to be in God's presence and the, and, and the power of his glory is going to be there and the excellence of Jesus. And then you're going to look down and you're going to say, oh man, what was I thinking? Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteousnesses are like polluted garments. I don't want to get too graphic, but it's like, like used up uh, sanitary products, right? I mean, it's like, that's, it's a pretty gross Hebrew word. And so there's not really like a comparison between what we can offer to God and what God gives us in Jesus. It's dramatic, isn't it? Could you get you know, a bigger contrast? God gives us everything that we could never earn. The second problem with believing that I can do all this stuff and make myself better for God is that you can never have something acting on you from the external that is going to actually transform your heart, right? So I can go and I can fast all the time and I can give all my money. I can, I can give my body to be burned, right? Apostle Paul said, but if I don't have love, if it's not out of, out of a selfless thing of me understanding my love from God and loving someone else, then it's actually not worth anything, right? It can actually be what feeds my flesh. You know what's so dangerous about pride? James tells us that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. If you're proud about how good you are, you're gonna be able to see how much you need Jesus. Boy, I faced this growing up, man. I grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but I did. And in my Christian experience, it was like all about being the good, the good boy, right? I'm going to prove it. I'm going to wear the clothes. I'm going to say the yes, sir. I'm going to be good. And I was satisfied that, with that for a long time. And, and I just, I wanted people to think I was good. So all kinds of bad stuff grew in my heart, bad habits, all kinds of things in my life that I was ashamed of. But I was satisfied if everybody else thought I was good. Until one day, God got a hold of my heart and he said, you know, you can't, believe in me and love me if you love what everybody else has to say about you more than what I have to say about you. All of a sudden I realized, man, I don't care. I don't want that. I want you. I want you. And so from that day on, God changed my heart. I wanted to live a life for God, not a life for other people. That's what Paul's talking about here. Don't let them judge you. Don't let them disqualify you. Live your life for me.
You really do need Jesus. Jesus is all you need. You don't need anything else but him. So we press into the grace of God. So Paul is telling them, it's like a siren for the, for the sailors, right? The sailors hear the siren call and they go off to their own destruction. But he's trying to break that siren call to say, no, don't listen to these false forms of righteousness. Don't let go of Jesus, who is your vital connection to God. Don't let go of your bond with other believers and set yourself apart as better than somebody else and, and go off on your own individualistic path. Don't lose the growth of God in your life. Don't let this happen to you because Jesus is the head of the body. Hold fast to Christ, Paul says. Maintain your your faith in him. He's your freedom. He's the ultimate and the highest and the best. Hold on there, not to these other things. So Christ is the head of the body. He says, then be nourished in Christ. I'm putting this in the positive because he's telling them that... um, that these people are losing out on that when they, when, they, when they turn away from him. Jesus used a metaphor for this in John 15. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what you see is, is that it's not us pulling ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and being spiritual gangsters with God, right? This is about you and I staying connected to Jesus. So if you're connected to a vine, what happens, right? So the branch is connected. There's no separation, right? And, and the vine takes all of the nutrients and the, and the water out of the soil, and it delivers it out to the branches so that the branches can produce grapes, Right? So you're in an abiding relationship with Jesus where you're holding on to him and God's life is flowing through Jesus into you. Divine life, that is how we're transformed. Remember I said rules can't change us from the outside in? God has to change us from the inside out. That's what he does through our relationship with Jesus. Jesus begins to to fill us with his life and new desires start to come into our lives that we never had before like, I'm going to read the Bible. I want to know what it says. I want to tell other people about Jesus. I'm concerned that they don't know about what it means to walk with Christ. I want to be with other believers and serve and bless them. These things are not desires that you had before. But in Christ, God's changing your heart. And you're becoming a new person. And you hold fast to Christ and he transforms you. Paul wrote it this way in Galatians chapter 2. He said, it is no longer Christ, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why? Because I've been crucified with Christ, dead to the world, dead to the elemental spirits, dead to the false religion. And I've been made alive to Jesus. I've been made alive through Christ. A person who, who is in Christ has an honest heart to love God. He begins to humbly prioritize other needs and moves toward them. That's why I love this theme that you guys have here at Phoenix Bible of love moves, because that's exactly what it is. Love's in a feeling, love's in action. And that's what happens in a person's life when they're impacted by Jesus. They sincerely desire to see God's kingdom work accomplished. They worshipfully, worshipfully value Jesus. There's not an ego here to satisfy. There's no image that I have to put out here to you to make you like me. It's about me loving you. It's about me valuing you because Jesus died for you too. And if he died for me and he values me, he must value you just as much 
as he does me. That's what it looks like when it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So how do you grow in Christ? You stay connected to the head, right? That's what he says. Hold fast to the head. Grow in Christ. You stay connected there. Now, if he's the head, then there's this body that he's the head of. And you stay connected. This is kind of a thing that that is kind of mind-blowing in our culture because we're kind of like doing our own thing a lot of times. But we stay connected to Jesus by being connected to his body. If Jesus is the head, then we're connected to Jesus by being part of those limbs and that trunk and the rest of the body that he controls. And so he says that we grow in Christ as God knits us together. He unites us together. You know how God does that? He does it through shared suffering and challenges that we walk through together and those ligaments and those tendons and that body tightness grows and becomes solid and strong. A group of believers face the impossible together. They show, they, they show their dependence upon God. God shows himself trustworthy. And on the other side, there are bonds that grow out of that that are lifelong, that cannot change or be broken because God has done something to unite a group of believers together. I know I've talked to Pastor Tim a little bit about what's going on with the building here and things at Phoenix Bible Church. You don't want to miss out on what God's doing during this time because God's at work. If Jesus has shown his love to you, he's not going to walk away now. Keep your focus on Jesus during this time. Keep your focus on the head. and See how he's going to use this to knit you guys together in a powerful way. Pastor Tim has told me some amazing things that have already gone on. The prayers at noon, uh, the reminders, just the, the way that the Holy Spirit has been awakening and blessing. And I'm just proud of you guys and excited to see what God's going to do in the days ahead. And so God, in this growth, is calling us to a greater level of maturity, but maturity means connectedness to the body and being with one another and following what the, the divine head says. Christ is the substance, and we are his body. So let's not get distracted by all kinds of seemingly good things, right? Um, he, he tells them in verses 23, 20 through 23, you're dead to the world with Christ. If you're with Christ, died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Like don't handle something or don't taste it or don't touch it, right? These things pass away as you use them. He's saying, if you go back to the law, you're nullifying the grace of God, Galatians 2.21. And we don't nullify the grace of God. We live by the grace of God. Christ died, and if I'm a child of God, I'm dead with him to the law I don't, have to, I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. I don't have to be legally bound to the law anymore. I have died with Christ and I have been risen again. And so that's why he tells him, if you've got your Bible open, look back at verse 6 in chapter 2. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. You know what that means? That means is it doesn't change when you get saved, when you trust in Jesus, it doesn't change. It doesn't flip. Now that you're saved, you got to do all this. No. How are you saved? Apart from the law, by faith, as a gift from God. How do you live in a relationship with God? By faith, as a gift from God, by grace. It doesn't change. So when you're tempted to move in a different direction, look back to how you were saved and keep that cue strong in your life. Keep that, 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 that light ahead of you that you follow in Christ. 
So we, we keep going just like we were brought into Christ, established in the faith. And he says, don't be deceived. This stuff looks really good on the outside, all this asceticism and severity to the body, but ultimately it's no value in stopping the, ultra, the, uh, the indulgence of the flesh. You may feel like, okay, I'm like a Marine in God's military, or like I'm the CrossFit of workout spiritually, right? I'm the tough one, right? And, and I'm strong for God. But reality is that all this kind of self-denial doesn't have an effect on transforming or stopping the indulgence to the flesh. This is important for us as believers because in our world right now, authenticity is a huge thing, right? I'm going to be authentic to who I am. So as a believer in Jesus, who are you? right? Are you the sum of your desires? Because what our world says right now is that if my flesh says that this is what I want, this is who I am. I'm not going to deny myself and not be who I feel like I am, right? Because that's not being authentic. What this passage is telling us though is, no, you're not the sum of your desires. You are not your flesh, right? You are a child of God, And you are holding on to the head who is Christ. And God is living his life out through you. So when you have desires that run contrary to the word of God, you don't say, this is just who I am and I'm going to roll with it. You say, no, I am a child of God. And God is living his life out through me. Authentically, I'm a child of Jesus and Jesus is my king. That is being authentic to who I really am. And so everything in our lives becomes subject to that. We're not just the sum of our bodily passions. Our identity is the child of the king, and Jesus is our king. So this morning, I would ask you, as we wrap up and think about what God's doing in our lives, what overcomes us, overcomes the flesh? What keeps us from, uh, what keeps us in obedience to Christ? Are you ready to give up your own goodness and say, God, really, I don't have anything to offer you? as far as gaining any kind of merit. I just trust that you are my savior and my righteousness and my goodness. God, I'm willing to give up the judgments of my coworkers, maybe my spouse or my significant other or my neighbors or friends. I'm willing to give up their judgment to make it only what you say matters in my life. I want to grow in Christ. I want to hold fast to him. I want to be united in the body. And so I'm going to attend and I'm going to build relationships and I'm going to serve, not because it it makes me a good person, because I'm committed to my head, Jesus Christ. So God's calling us to stop chasing the shadows. If we believe in Jesus, to trust that we've got the substance and to hold fast in him. Maybe this morning you're here and you're investigating the claims of Jesus and you're wanting to know what it means to believe in Jesus. Today, the message for you is that Jesus accepts sinners by faith without having to prove themselves. It's because he loves them. It's because he loves them. It's because he loves you. Don't let anybody else judge you. But realize one day you will stand before God as your judge. The hip-hop artist, uh, No Big Deal, said, only God can judge. But do you want to see him litigate? So God lavishes grace on people who receive it as a gift. Maybe today you want to talk more about that. Come talk to me, one of the leadership here at Phoenix Bible Church. Be the most beautiful thing for you to lay it all down and to say, I receive as a gift what you have to give me, King Jesus, and I'll follow you.
because Jesus is all you need. But you desperately need Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. God, we're grateful that you love us and we're grateful that you've shown us that love by giving us your grace. We thank you, Lord, that, that we don't have to prove ourselves. What, a, what a, a, a hamster wheel that would be of getting nowhere. We're grateful, Lord, that we don't even have to have the strength to fight our flesh because you promised to live your life through us when we cooperate with you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to really just care about what you think, to not let other people judge us, but to find that you love us and have made a way to satisfy yourself completely through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Lord, I pray for that one here today who has yet to trust you as Savior. Open eyes and heart, Lord. Reveal your great love and the depth of your grace and commitment. And so, Lord, we look to you. Guide this church, I pray, in its next steps. Lord, show your, your mighty hand of power, unite them and knit them together in ways that they never could have imagined because you are the one carrying them. We love you, King Jesus, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.